Today on Him We Proclaim with Dr. John Fonville, a new series about the glorious second coming of Jesus Christ. You know, Christians have been waiting on the edge of their seats for millennia for this amazing event to occur called the glorious second coming, and it's definitely going to happen someday. It's the good news of the second coming that spurs us on when we feel like we have no hope. It keeps us from living foolish lives and instead making every moment count. So, are you ready for a hope-filled message? Let's listen now to this first installment in the series, The Glorious Second Coming of Jesus. Here's Pastor John with part two. Second Thessalonians, the pressing pastoral matter that Paul addresses in chapter three is idleness among some of these young believers. And the key pastoral issues of chapter three are command and discipline. Command and discipline. Now, I showed you that Paul had previously, because of reports from Timothy in 1 Thessalonians, addressed the problem of idleness in the Thessalonian church. This problem has now escalated and gotten worse. Because of false teachers, these believers had become idle, and because of the false teaching about Christ's second coming, they had left their daily places of employment, and Paul says they have become, quote, busybodies meddling in the affairs of others. Uh, this language of busybody literally means this, one who puts his spoon in someone else's cup. So what the Thessalonian believers had done was because they had a false understanding of the second coming of Christ and left their day jobs, they were now depending on other believers in the church for their complete physical sustenance. They were putting their spoon, so to speak, in everyone else's cup and becoming busybodies, meddling in the affairs of others and disrupting the church through their disorderly conduct. And so Paul responds to this, and he calls for restorative discipline of those who are disorderly in the church, and he commands the church to stay away from those who are disorderly, and he directly demands the disorderly to repent of their unruly behavior in the church. That's chapter 3. And so he calls on us, rather than living as busybodies in view of Christ's second coming, He exhorts the Thessalonian believers and all of us in view of the second coming of Christ to live orderly lives and not grow weary of doing good because Jesus is coming back. That's basically chapter 3. So it's important to note as a point of application before we move on is what's important to note is this is that Paul shows us in chapter 3 how the hope of the gospel, the second coming of Christ encourages believers to live godly, orderly, rather than ungodly, disorderly lives. Don't let anybody ever tell you the gospel is a license to sin. Paul destroys that teaching in chapter 3 and shows you that when you place your hope, when you place your faith in the hope of the gospel, the second coming of Christ, it will lead and encourage you to pursue godliness in your life. And so here's the summary of chapter 3. The glorious second coming of Jesus corrects disorderly Christians, and it encourages faithful Christians to live lives of godliness so that the church, chapter 3, verse 16, can live in peace. 
That's his argument. So what is Paul doing in 2 Thessalonians? Let me just break it down very simply in the outline. Here's, here are the pressing, there are three pressing pastoral issues because of the reports he received that he wants to help correct. And so based on this report, here's the outline of 2 Thessalonians. Chapter 1, to comfort persecuted Christians. Chapter 2, to calm alarmed Christians. Chapter 3, to correct disorderly Christians. That's 2 Thessalonians right there. But the theme that controls all three chapters of 2 Thessalonians is this glorious second coming of Jesus. Now, as we reflect on this introductory survey, there it is. I gave it to you in about 18 minutes. I hope you all got it. Um, This is what I want to spend the rest of our time with this morning. Answering this question, why study 2 Thessalonians? Why study this book? So this morning as we finish, um, I want to give you four reasons for studying this letter. Four reasons for studying this letter. Here's the first. First, 2 Thessalonians with 1 Thessalonians, but we're studying 2 Thessalonians, so we'll just focus on that. But uh, 2 Thessalonians is a book about last things, about eschatology. Eschatology just simply means the study of last things. So when you think about the distinctive contribution of 2 Thessalonians and, and 1 Thessalonians, you have to think immediately about eschatology, the study of last things. Nowhere do we find more source material for the doctrine of uh, last things as in the eight chapters of 1 and 2 Thessalonians. Um, every chapter in 1 Thessalonians ends with a reference to Jesus' second coming. Isn't that interesting? And then 2 Thessalonians is completely organized around one central theme, the second coming of Christ. And so with these two letters, we come really to the heart of the Bible's teaching about the future. Namely, the most significant event yet ahead in redemptive history, which is this, the second coming of Jesus, which Paul in Titus 2 says is the church's blessed hope. So this letter is all about the blessed hope, the hope of the gospel, the second coming of of Christ. This glorious second coming of Christ is the consummation of the kingdom of God. It is the It is the consummation of the new creation. It is the answer to the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray in Matthew 6.10. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So this is a very important letter. It's also important to note that 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, along with the book of Galatians, are Paul's earliest letters in the New Testament. Why is that important? Well, it's important for a couple of reasons. First of all, when we read 2 Thessalonians and 1 Thessalonians, we get, we get insight into the earliest teaching and earliest thought of the early church on how they understood last things. We get the earliest understanding and insight of the church's view on end-time events. In a vital significance, the Apostle Paul combines the gospel with eschatology as he begins the letter of 1 Thessalonians. In chapter 1, verse 10, listen to this hope-filled statement about Jesus, and he combines both the gospel and eschatology in one verse. He says, quote, Jesus, 
who delivers us from the wrath to come. That's gospel and eschatology in one phrase. And so in order to comfort the Thessalonians, Paul in chapter uh, 4 of 1 Thessalonians, verses 13 to 18, and then in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, the whole chapter, goes into more detail than anywhere else on the precise sequence of events involved in Jesus' second coming. So when we get to that, it's going to be quite amazing the things that you see. And also with these two passages of Scripture, Paul has given us the two clearest statements in the whole New Testament about the second coming of Christ. Moreover, the Thessalonian believers' uh, letters teach us about Christ's imminent return. The imminent return of Jesus just simply means that he could come at any time. Jesus' second coming, the Bible teaches, is the next major event to occur in God's redemptive historical timetable. And Paul, in these letters, teaches us that that great event will happen quickly and unexpectedly. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 2, he says, For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. So unlike David's teacher this past week who thinks he knows that Jesus will return next year, right? Um, Jesus, we, we don't know when Jesus will return, but Paul is teaching the ethical part of this is that we must be ready for his return because his second coming will happen quickly and unexpectedly like a thief in the night. So we must be ready. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 6 through 10, Paul sets forth another eschatology, the, 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 the future judgment for those who persecute the church and the future vindication for the church that is persecuted. And if you don't think that understanding the future judgment of those who persecute Christ's church is applicable when I was just in Europe and Ireland preaching, after I got done doing a, a, an evangelistic outreach in a cafe, a woman came up to me in tears and said, pray for me because I am struggling with the doctrine of eternal punishment and God putting, taking justice and vengeance out on his enemies. And because she was struggling with that doctrine, she said, quote, I have no comfort. And the Apostle Paul's point in chapter 1 is to give you comfort in view that God will one day vindicate you and bring vengeance and justice on your enemies. And so this letter has great implications and applications to our daily life. And then lastly, a first importance, keep it in mind the early date of 1 and 2 Thessalonians. This is why you need to understand the early date is so important. First and second Thessalonians with Galatians, as I said, are Paul's first letters. They are the earliest letters in the New Testament. So listen, we have the earliest confirmed teaching and thought about how Christians viewed the resurrection of dead Christians, the hope of the gospel. 
You see, because of Jesus' victory over death and grave, the first Easter, Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he exclaims this. He says, thanks be to God, because humanity's greatest enemy, death, he says, quote, has been swallowed up in victory. And so from the time death first came upon the human race in Eden, as a result of Adam's fall, God's people have longed for the glorious day when the dead will be raised to live again forevermore and death conquered forevermore. And Paul goes into extreme detail in these letters about the hope of the gospel. That's comfort. This hope of a future bodily resurrection is directly, Paul says, connected to the glorious hope of Christ's second coming. And so Paul in the early church, we see in this letter, looked in hope for one climactic future event, the glorious second coming of, of, of Christ. And so this letter is filled with comfort. Let me summarize for you like this. The second coming of Christ is good news for persecuted Christians, chapter 1. It is good news for alarmed Christians, chapter 2. And it is good news for believers, chapter 3, who are continually tempted by ungodly influences outside of them and by the ungodly influence of their flesh inside of them, chapter 3. So that's the first reason we want to study 2 Thessalonians, is we want to get rid of all the fanaticism and look at the true hope of the gospel. Second, 2 Thessalonians is a book about strengthening the faith of believers, but especially the faith of young believers in the faith. So if you're a young believer in the faith, this book is for you. Many of the Thessalonian believers, as I said, were Greek converts who had come out of a pagan background that was characterized by religious pluralism and a lax moral climate. And these young believers needed to be instructed in both the faith and its implications, ethics for living in a challenging, godless culture. And upon their conversion, these new converts faced almost immediate opposition and persecution and began to suffer. Let me give you some insight into what was happening. Upon their conversion, they began to experience alienation from family members and from their friends. They began to experience the cooling off of their initial spiritual zeal. So you know what happens with young believers. They get converted, and they're just on fire. In our culture, we talk about we're on fire. And then all of a sudden, the on-fireness goes, cools off. That's exactly what happened to these young believers in Thessalonica. And so Paul, he reminds these young believers that such persecution, hardship, alienation from both family and friends is to be expected in life east of Eden. Life east of Eden is not normal. And the only time we will have normal life is when Christ comes again. But until then, this life is not normal. It is filled with trouble. Let me give us some application very quickly about that. Jesus taught this fact to his disciples in the upper room in the night before his crucifixion. He says, in the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. In Matthew chapter 10, verses 34 through 39, he says, do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. 
For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. This is exactly what happened to the Thessalonian believers, these young little converts in the faith. And I can tell you from personal experience that Catherine and I have experienced this familial opposition in our own family on more than one occasion. And it is very hard. Jesus' own family opposed him and said that he was out of his mind, a lunatic. The central point that Jesus makes in Matthew 10 is that love of God in his kingdom takes precedence over every other human relationship. So here's the question that Thessalonians poses for us. Why do so many of us think that being a Christian is going to guarantee an easy life and give us your best life now? God has not promised us a trouble-free life, your best life now, east of Eden. Your best life now is coming at the second coming. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, Paul tells Timothy, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. The Bible is filled with accounts of God's people facing suffering and persecution and alienation from family and friends, and 2 Thessalonians is no exception. And what is the remedy that Paul gives for these young believers so that they remain steadfast and don't quit and give up? Because I can tell you, when you receive that kind of opposition, particularly in family situations, because, you know, as I said, Catherine and I experienced that for over a decade of relentless, ongoing, nonstop opposition. It's quite wearisome. What is it that makes you stick to it? Paul gives us the answer in 2 Thessalonians. He says to these Thessalonians, remain rooted in the word of God, the gospel, which will keep you steadfast. And therefore he prays for them in 2 Thessalonians 3, 5. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. That's what will make you continue on when you want to quit. And so we find ourselves living in a day and time not unlike the Thessalonians. And if we are to live lives of steadfastness and orderly godliness that, that adorn and rather than tarnish the gospel, we need to give serious attention to Paul's letter that was written some 20 centuries ago to young believers in Thessalonica. Third, why are we studying Thessalonians? Because it is a book about the impact of the gospel. You knew that was coming, right? <laughs> Second Thessalonians is a book about the impact of the gospel. It is about the power of God's gospel for salvation. As I had just mentioned, uh, many of these Thessalonian converts, in fact, almost all of them, had come out of a pagan Greek background. Religious pluralism, just like our culture, was the rule of the day. Lacks moral culture, just like our culture, is the rule of the day. And so first and second, Thessalonians informs and reinforces for us this active and powerful nature of the gospel. 
despite, listen, the, the Thessalonians' pagan background, despite the great conflict and persecution of their surrounding environment, when Paul and Silas and Timothy came to Thessalonica, despite all of this, Paul says their coming was not in vain. Look what he says in chapter 2 of Thessalonians. Uh, Look what he says. He says, uh, verse 2, We had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. In chapter 1, verse 5, he says to them, Our gospel came to you not only in word but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. And so we learn from this letter that neither one's background, no matter how pagan, nor one's circumstances, no matter how bad, can keep the message of the gospel from being the power of God unto salvation. 1 Thessalonians chapters 1 and 2, Paul refers in those two chapters to the message of the gospel nine times. He emphasizes in both of these letters the centrality of the preaching of the gospel and shows how faith is the natural and appropriate fruit of this gospel. And so Paul's purpose in these two brief letters is to show the Thessalonians and to teach us how he tried his best to get out of the way of the word of God, the message of the gospel, and to let the gospel loose and have its full impact on their lives. You see, the concern with Paul was not Paul the preacher who was being slandered. The importance for Paul was the message that he proclaimed. And that was his concern. Uh, Let me give you an example of that from the Reformation. Uh, Martin Luther, in a sermon in 1522 that he preached in Wittenberg in Germany, um, he was explaining to his congregation how the significant events of the Reformation had unfolded in the span of just a few years. And I want you to listen to what he shared with his church. He says, For the Word created heaven and earth and all things. The Word must do this thing, and not we poor sinners. In short, I will preach it, teach it, write it, but I will constrain no man by force, for faith must Come freely without compulsion. Take myself as an example. I opposed indulgences, and I opposed all the papists, the popes, but I never did this with force. I simply taught, preached, and wrote God's word. Otherwise, I did nothing. And while I slept or drank Wittenberg beer with my friends, I love that phrase, (laughs) and drank Wittenberg beer with my friends Phillips and Amsdorf, the word so greatly weakened the papacy that no prince or emperor ever inflicted such losses upon it. I did nothing. The word did everything. I did nothing. I let the word do its work. That's Paul's message in Second Thessalonians, the power that the gospel brought to these pagan believers changed their life forever. And then fourth and finally, Second Thessalonians is a book about the glory of God. As I said, um, the, the entire letter 
points to the glory of God. God's glory will be consummated at Jesus' second coming. Paul says he comes on that day to be glorified in, in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed. The Lord's glory, fully revealed, shining forth, is what this book is all about as God's people wait for the hope of the glorious second coming of Christ. And that is the book of 2 Thessalonians. Let's pray. And so, Father, we thank you for this great letter, and we pray that as we study it, you would uh, calm our hearts if we're alarmed in any way, that you would comfort our hearts if we are facing uh, opposition and persecution from family or from friends or wherever, any place. We pray that you would correct our misguided thoughts and misunderstanding about your second coming, the hope of the gospel. We pray that you would let the hope of the gospel encourage us to godly living. And we pray, most of all, that in all of this study, that you, Father, through your Son and by your Spirit, would be glorified. We ask this in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks, John. The message you just heard is called The Glorious Second Coming of Jesus, Part 1. The mission of Him We Proclaim is to bring you the gospel of good news each weekday. And it's our prayer that your heart will be filled with joy and a clear understanding of the gospel and God's word. If you want to hear a past broadcast, check out our podcast in iTunes or download our app. Just search for Dr. John Fonville in iTunes or Google Play. Him We Proclaim is a broadcast of Dr. John Fonville. If you would like to visit Pastor John's church in Jacksonville, Florida, you're always welcome. You can find out more at ParamountChurch.com. Thanks for listening and join us next time 